0: You are listening to episode 54 of the Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast, the podcast of two unqualified idiots rambling on sports ish topics for an indeterminate timeline in and hastily thrown together format. Brought to us this week by No Really Sports Ish. I'm Carlos Alcazar, and with me as always is Dave Turbo.
1: Are you saying that now we kind of know something about them?
0: No, I'm saying that sports. the sports content is kind of questionable. It's like sports related, sports adjacent. No, fair enough. You know, it's hard to talk about sports when there's no sports. But but you didn't
1: say that they likely know nothing about this time. So are we are people to believe that we actually know what we're
0: talking about now? Well if it's sports ish, how could we not? Oh fair enough. We could basically just make shit up. Is it really wrong if it's only sports ish? I think that's fair. So now all our facts are alternative facts. Woohoo! We've lived the dream. Congratulations to everybody. Good job, everyone. We done well, it.
1: Well, we are both historians, and as we know, historians are infallible, Carlos.
0: Well, that's what the history books will say. So there you go. Exactly. Now, as far as that's concerned, like, this week, there isn't really a lot going on. A lot of it really centers around different sports leagues trying to come up with plans and contingencies to try to think, figure out a way to play. Except for Dana White, who doesn't care about laws or rules. Outside of that, things are sporadically going. Obviously, Korean baseball is underway. Have you watched Korean baseball? I've watched a little bit. I've watched... It's one of those things where I have to be... I have to have the right time and be in the right mood, because I'm basically watching a rerun. Like, no matter what game I'm watching, I'm watching a rerun. I'm not going to watch it live, because... Even if I'm up late, which happens, I'm like doing—I'm actually doing something. So if, usually that's when I get in my zone and I'm actually trying to complete some kind of work or I'm doing something. I'm basically playing around with some of my hobbies where I'm designing something, building something, creating content is one thing that I like to do. Editing a podcast like this will happen late because that's when my mind is in that state where I can be like in in my zone doing it. So like putting Korean baseball on would be a little distracting because I would kind of want to watch it uh, rather than focus my attention on the task at hand. Oh, that's fair. So it's one of those things where I definitely wanted to watch a little bit of it because regardless, you know, you can make whatever arguments you want about the level of baseball it is. I'm still interested. It's still baseball, and I'll still happily watch. I'll definitely get a chance, I think, to play it to watch a little bit more in the coming weeks. And uh, one thing that's happening like tonight as we're recording on Saturday night is that UFC has another live card. Like I said before, my statement stands from last week's episode. I'm not going to patronize the UFC in the sense of paying money. But if you're going to put it on a channel I already have, then turning on the PVR and watching through the fights, I really have no issue with that. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, I just will not go out of my way. But if it's in front of my face and there's some entertainment there, I have no issue with that part of it. One thing we're going to talk about a little bit is uh, we're definitely going to talk about the Last Dance documentary. We're two episodes away from the end, but we're going to talk about episode seven and episodes eight as we get closer to the final week, which the, ep- the final episodes will air within about 48 hours of when we're talking, give or take. Sunday in the United States and then it's Monday in Canada. So it'll be really interesting to see how people respond and react to the last couple episodes. Now, I only got a little bit of peripheral. I only got to listen to a couple of things related to it, but I did watch both episodes, so we'll have some thoughts on that. Also, the final episode of the Seattle Mariners documentary came out a little bit later than we expected, but it did finally come out, and we got a chance to watch that as well, so we'll have some thoughts on that. And then outside of that, we'll have uh, some general thoughts on kind of the PR battle between uh, Major League Baseball players and the owners, which, I don't think they're the only sport that's going to have this, but Major League Baseball has kind of taken the forefront of having this, uh, you know, us versus them and millionaires versus billionaires narrative that other sports may at some point end up having to do as well. So we'll we'll talk a little bit about that. Before all of that, what's going on this week, Dave? You know what? This was a really
1: nonchalant kind of week. Like I, I've had, you know I've had some at least what I would say like semi entertaining story every week and and this week i i really got nothing like the highlights of my week have been like i got all my work done uh i did some cleaning i finally got uh some sports pictures up in the office so that's that's exciting going knowing that Which pictures did you put up? I wanted some of a little bit of everything so i only have really the one raptor thing i have an autograph of damon Stoudemire, so i put that up Okay uh
0: yeah.
1: that was and then the first thing i put up was uh i have a Replica scorecard and uh, official dirt from the original Yankee Stadium to the game I went to, plus my ticket uh, framed. So it was from July twenty second, two thousand eight. Yankees eight, Twins two. So I put that up.
0: So this is in the office now. Instead of uh, we're in the old house, this was in the basement. So now this is in the office. Yeah, well, the office in the basement too. But it's so it's still in the basement. Oh, okay. And then I have
1: like a print of a painting I got from the ninety fifth Grey Cup. So, basically, it's got the Grey Cup, uh, some players, an old helmet and a new helmet, and then several autographs. Uh, the highlights probably being G. Roy Simon uh, on that one. And then I have my original six uh, hockey arenas with very uh, one player from each original six team signing it. The only one we should really care about is Sean Beliveau, number four for the Habs. But because, you know, Toronto, it's Johnny Bauer because who else, Carlos?
0: Well, it's funny you mention that because I was uh, going through my flyers in the in the mailbox because in this week well, there was a lot of mail that came in, but flyers always come in as well. And I was just randomly flipping through the flyers and half of them were Johnny Bauer autographed flyers. It was weird. Yeah, well, you know,
1: he does like to sign even though he's dead.
0: Well, that's what made it weird. It was like literally they were my flyers and I was like, oh, signed by Johnny Bauer. Why? I don't even understand. And it's like, isn't he dead? Yeah, he probably is. But here are some signed flyers just like everything else. All around my house. It's weird, Dave. Like, every piece of paper I turned over is signed by Johnny Bauer. Like, I've got stacks of paper all over my office, and everything's signed by Johnny Bauer. It's you know bizarre.
1: what's weird is that, like, so many people listening to this probably have no idea what we mean by that. Like, we're not making fun of the dude. We're not, like, no. st- you know, stamping on his grave. We love Johnny Bauer. But literally, that dude was always at every convention while he was alive, and he was sign anything. You could, As I'm going to tell people, Carlos mailed something to his house, and he mailed it back to Carlos signed.
0: Absolutely. Because through the mail. Now, I, I did that. Year, this was years and years and years ago now. But apparently he, uh, he lived in Mississauga, uh, same city as I do. And from what I understood, he, uh, he was apparently a very prolific signer through the mail. So you could do a self-addressed stamped envelope and uh, Mr. Bauer would sign it. And he did. And it was, one, it was just one of those things where like that, you know, trying that at the time. To- at the time, I, I had pretty good success. But it was a little bit spotty. Now, I don't remember where I put them. I know for a fact they're somewhere. I've got a box of index cards somewhere around me. And I got Vladimir Guerrero Sr. to sign a card for me. Uh, Kerry Woods signed a card for me. And I know for a fact there were a handful of other like decent players that did sign some cards for me as well. These, these are all some just point things
1: that me. you you know self addressed stand envelope things? Yeah. Nice.
0: Yeah, so and I had pretty good success for a little while there. Um, Now, this was back, I would say, in the late 90s, the early 2000s. So this was a long time ago now. And I know I'm pretty confident I still have that box somewhere. I I have to go look through my storage of crap. That's going to be like one of my projects, going through some of my old crap and figuring out where the heck I put that box because I I would love actually at some point, once we get back to a quote-unquote normal state, I'd love to put some of those postcards and send them off to like PSA have the autographs authenticated by their psa dna because i'm pretty sure most of those autographs are legit nice and i've got some hall of famers i've got some star players that actually did sign for me at the time and i might have just gotten lucky and like i said this was almost 20 years this is over 20 years ago for most of them and it just happened to be right time right place i guess because i, I i'm confident a lot of those guys wouldn't have signed years later the same way
1: yeah it's so true to finish so that, off the list i have my believe that new orleans saints super bowl thing which has all the tickets like a replica of the tickets uh from each home game uh each playoff game and the super bowl six and a half hours later uh, i have some ticat stuff i have a tfc thing uh i have a i have a drew breeze autograph picture but the the frame's weird so i can't actually hang it properly so i was like well i'm not gonna waste a space on that day two but yeah i really can't say other and then i bought some stuff
0: day three and
1: there you go man how about you
0: I will begin by regretting I asked. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> the good part is everybody listening to the podcast is like you'll never hear three quarters of that because I'm cutting it all out. In fact, I muted you during part of it because I knew you were still talking. Actually, the, can I tell uh, you one? Sorry, let me tell you
1: one thing oh. really useful. You can cut it out. Cool. Whatever, I don't care. Go. Um, I actually did. Um, I to this web webinar that I watched. That I got an email from the union. Uh, okay. I got a free er- home ergonomic assessment for my home office. Which actually proved useful.
0: Yeah, because you're old and you're falling apart.
1: So, you know. But it was nice that it's free and they were it's you know, somebody from Thunder Bay, uh that was doing it, but
0: Ooh, Thunder Bay exotic.
1: Well, you know. It's better than I just
0: appreciate I just appreciate that Thunder Bay was like a, a like a like a point to add in there. Hey, it like it's it's no Santa Monica Bay. Pier,
1: Carlos, but it's it's somewhere in Canada.
0: Great. Fantastic.
1: <laughs> anyway. What did you get up to this week, Carlos?
0: <laughs> work and errands, a lot of work and errands, and uh, mercifully, I'll keep my story a little bit shorter than Dave's. But like I said, all of you will probably hear uh, Dave basically saying, "It's like, and that's what I did." And it just a bunch, and they'll be like, "Wait, did he say stuff?" No, it's don't worry about it. The um, no, the majority of it was just trying to get some stuff done. The weather was kind of crummy this week for the most part. It did pick up towards the end, and like today was wonderful, which was very good. And a lot of it really came down to, I guess the highlight for me this week was really just uh, some stuff came in the mail. I got some stuff from my collections for uh, for basically my, my Medano display and shrine area. That's in my office. But the, You're um, eventually
1: going to need a whole new room in your house just for the Medano stuff.
0: Well, to be fair, the office basically is that. I've got my desk and then other, thing, other space for to hold a bunch of that stuff. And I've got a bunch of shelves that hold a bunch of the boxes with the cards, so it just makes my life easier just to have that stored away in there. I'm gonna have to rearrange how I do that, but um, that's gonna be a project for later on. But in that same vein, the the rest of the week itself was just kind of like projects. One thing I will say though, and I this goes into today because the weather was nice. I said, okay, great. Let me take advantage of the situation and let me try to let me get let me get rid of some st- uh, stuff that needed to get pulled out of the house. Because for me, I'll say one thing that has uh, kind of fallen by the wayside during the downtime that we've been off is that I'm kind of slow on uh, my recycling game, not in the sense that I don't put recycling away, but in the sense of taking it, basically I'll fill up the bags and then put them to the side. And then I was like, oh crap, I should really get rid of this junk. And it's not like I have to do too much. I just have to take it outside, but I just haven't gotten, it's one of those things where that's one of those errands that unless you're falling over, or it's creating some kind of an obstruction for you, you're kind of too lazy to do it.
1: Well, especially when you live in like a condo complex, right?
0: Yeah. And the thing is I, I can take it down because we've got a whole like um uh, like a side building or shed where all that recycling and garbage can go. So I was like, Oh, uh, you know what? I've got no excuse. The weather's nice. It gives me an excuse to pop outside and get a little air, but at the same time I can take the stuff down. So I made a couple of trips nice. back and forth. And but the people need the to space. know,
1: Carlos, were you wearing the sunglasses while doing so?
0: Damn right. hundred percent. Totally. The, um, one thing I'll say, though, and the, the, I'll be honest, the biggest culprit and the one that created the most pain in the ass for me in this whole process, the Mississauga News, or as I like to call it, the most useless flyer envelope in recorded history.
1: Care to tell us why?
0: Because it's literally a flyer envelope. It's basically like five pages of news that sandwich like 50 pages of flyers.
1: Yeah. No, I hear you. That seems to be the way now.
0: Yeah. But it's the Mississauga News has always been extra guilty of this because uh, for somehow, we, Mississauga has managed to build itself into a niche of being the... The largest suburb in the entire world where they don't have a real daily newspaper, they just have a envelope for flyers because it's like, well, you don't have any news. And if you were going to cover any news, you'd probably just say, OK, this happened in Toronto. That's not Mississauga. There's 800,000 people here. I'm sure you could make up some news at this point.
1: Well, fair enough. I mean, you should have to be able to say something.
0: Yeah, point. they've got nothing, literally nothing. Even when things are going on, they're like, okay, there's a thing at the Mississauga Center for the Performing Arts. Great. Congratulations. Something else that no one's watching. <laughs> You're just hating on it, buddy. Dude, just no. Mississauga's always been a very bizarre place. Uh, I, I enjoy it for what it is, but it is the weirdest. And I, I have to call it a city because 800,000 people is a city. Absolutely. the yeah, and but we managed to have a city without a real daily newspaper. We don't have a radio station. It it, it doesn't have an identity of its own rather than just being a lot of space. We've got the mo- we got commercial real estate du jour. we got a hockey arena that's in the middle of nowhere that they built in the dumbest place they could possibly build it that nobody can get to and that whenever you ha- want to have an event, everybody's like, why don't you just put it in Toronto? Why? It's easier to get to.
1: But the parking's free at least.
0: Whoop-dee-doo. Congratulations.
1: But yeah, no, you're right. Mississauga is like, it's a weird city like that. Hey, we're like, you know, anytime you say it, like even um, what's the mayor? Bonnie Crombie. Is that the mayor
0: of Mississauga? It is now. Yeah. Yeah. She is how- the appointed successor to Hayes McCallum. Yeah.
1: And how she's basically like, oh, we want to secede from the region of Peel. <laughs> You've heard about that, right?
0: <laughs> hold on. Hold on. I need a moment to absorb this. How many Germany parallels are we going to have here? Because I always joke for many years that the reason Mississauga became so big, and this is my theory, Dave, let me explain this to you. My theory is that Hazel McCallion actually was able, and Hazel McCallion was is our mayor in Mississauga, was our mayor in Mississauga for about 550 years, realistically from about the mid-70s on. So before Mississauga was really Mississauga the way it is today. But back in those days, she became mayor, and then she remained mayor, and then over time, like, Mississauga kind of absorbed all these territories and and I always used to joke being a history major that it was kind of like when Germany started to go like well these people speak our language and they're ancestrally Mississauga and she just like kept taking the swaths of territory and then you woke up one day and Mississauga was this gigantic mass of land now and now you're saying Bon uh, Crombie is like doing it's like we will secede our people must be freed and like from what <laughs> We have no identity. We're just a big plot of land. Uh,
1: basically, basically paying taxes to the region.
0: Fantastic! Great. That's,
1: that's the thing, right? And actually, to the, to the point where, do uh, you know who's? You know Steve Paikin, right?
0: No, I. Do you think I pay? I've been to Mississauga. He has nothing to do with Mississauga. Night- he's, he's he's from Hamilton, but he, he's. I, I care even less than. He's I on TVO
1: and he lives in Toronto.
0: I don't watch TVO.
1: Well, yeah, Anyway, he would I was at um an interview, like a like book talk interview with uh bob woodward you know
0: great of course you were you know
1: you know who bob woodward is don't you
0: he's the guy who writes the stuff on the white house right the yeah. books on like the way white- yeah, that yeah. one i do know okay okay
1: anyway so it was his latest book on on the trump white house and he was talking about Fantastic. it whatever and steve pakin was the one who interviewed him and he was as he was doing an introduction he's like you know i would like to uh thank her worship mayor Crombie for having us here in her personal fiefdom of mississauga <laughs>
0: Not inaccurate, correct? yeah. So I
1: mean that was kind of funny.
0: And listen, our previously reigning monarch Hazel McCallion is still around. She just didn't want to officially run it, much like the queen. She has bequeathed the day to day operations to the appointed successors. Yeah,
1: but it, it, you're right. But I mean, it's it's weird because like, how many people do you ever meet that are like, oh, I'm from Mississauga and like are so proud about it? It's like I like I, I live I live in Mississauga and you know. But even then, like people probably talking to other people are like, oh, I live in Clarkson or I live in Streetsville or I live in Port Credit. They don't like I live in Mississauga. I don't know. It's a weird place, man.
0: Yeah, because like I said, the jokes, the jokes that I make aside, Mississauga was all these little communities that eventually got gobbled up into greater Mississauga over time. Clarkson is a distinct community. So I'll say I'm from Mississauga, but I, I live in Clarkson. Clarkson is a community that's been around for a long time. And these other little pockets have been but the Clarkson community has nothing to do with Meadowvale. has nothing to do with like all these other little spots and by the way each one of them has their own little distinct flavor the way the neighborhood is set up and whatever but like they're within the larger mississauga that's why I say like Hershey Center the hockey arena is all the way over there and the way that it works where the international center is and I, I don't I won't spend too much more time getting on the local Mississauga for everybody I promise I'm almost done but the, the point is that that area is basically toronto but it's a 40 minute car ride from where i am and we're both in mississauga yeah put it in perspective you think like in terms of land mass and size and when you've got that kind of a discrepancy in distance where etobicoke is still on the border of mississauga i'm almost on the border of an entirely different city it takes 40 minutes by car to get from point a to point b and we're still inside of city limits we haven't left the city
1: yeah it's it's know.
0: Uh, you that when you've got that you will not have a unified uh mississauga like when you say somebody's from Mississauga, yeah, technically they are, but which part? Yeah, it's true. Because it's going to be a distinct flavor depending on the answer to that question. Totally it is. And I've been here for 32 years. So it's like I'm I'm su- and in this neighborhood for the better part of that 32 years. I know this neighborhood inside and out, but I don't venture to a lot a lot of those other segments. I barely ever visit. There's almost no reason to go to. There's a handful of hubs that you'll go to here and there, but I spend like minutes of my life in the rest of the city combined even though there's a lot of little communities within it. Yeah. I think that's fair. It's one of those things. I spend a hundred times more time in Toronto just because it's easier and it's straight over there. But yeah, there's no quote unquote Mississauga identity. That, that's part of the reason why they don't have a newspaper. They don't have the radio station. They don't have any of that stuff. You need a, you need a community and an identity for that to be other than a suburb of Toronto.
1: It's so true, man.
0: But, so bottom line on this whole conversation, I think, it's really kind of a holding pattern, I think, for everybody. Uh, we're kind of on the cusp of the weather being decent. But we're not quite there. Like today we got a taste of what it could be like, but and we're having a long weekend now, but we haven't gotten to that stage yet. We're still at like, it's been unseasonably cold for a while. And I think that's kind of thrown a wrench into everything, in addition to the fact that obviously, you know, social distancing is still in effect and we want to do all that. But I will say if the weather was a little better, I'd at least sit in my front patio. Like, you know, the one I have there, I've got my uh, my table with the thing. And I will say some of the neighbors sat out today just because at least the weather was decent. But to me, it's it's not quite there. Like we're close. I have a feeling if the weather's a little bit better in the next couple of weeks, there'll probably be a couple of neighbors that will at least have like a barbecue with their family in that front area, even though they'll still keep their distance from everybody else, but still kind of like be in the vicinity and you'll see a little bit more activity in life.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: I wouldn't be surprised if that's the way, because you can still have it. It's not like, it doesn't mean you have to be in a desolate landscape and not see anybody, but it means just give like a respectful distance. By the way, you can still have a barbecue and still have that. I don't see any reason why not. Yep. for sure. So that'll be it. That's kind of uh, that's kind of it for us. Uh, as we as we trade uh, to take turns on figuring out who's the least interesting person. I think Dave wins today, but only marginally. Uh, but the long-standing conversation of the history of Mississauga, you know, uh, it almost made it as boring. Almost, but we we, we tried our best. Although
1: there's, you know, there's like one person listening to this, like finally they're talking about Mississauga.
0: It's One person, but you know, literally one person. And they're like, I wanted a radio station. It's like, all right, where would you put it? Near the Hershey Center? You're an idiot. It'll take you two hours a day to get there. And five buses. Yeah. Anyway.
1: All right, let's talk some sports-ish stuff now.
0: (laughs) Uh, I'm going to have such a bad time editing this. It's going to be the worst.
1: (laughs) That should be the the clip there. Just you being like, I'm going to have such a bad time editing this. And then just like, I don't know, some kind of like really disappointing music.
0: No, you know what's going to happen is I may have to use, like, the Spongebob. By the way, did you hear the Spongebob clip I threw in the last week's episode? Yes. I like yeah, and, and I used it because, because in the same vein, you were boring me. And even in the recording, you were boring me. And I'm like, let me just delete a bunch of this crap and push us ahead. I may just do, like, the intro, do that, and then click to the real topic. <laughs> it's fair. It's
1: fair. I wouldn't blame
0: you. So let's let's talk about this a little bit. This week there was a little bit of fun with the uh, major league baseball players and the owners, and kind of fighting millionaires versus billionaires, and trying to decide which one of those douchebags uh, we should feel sorry for. Answer: nobody. But nonetheless, do you want to kind of outline, Dave, kind of the Blake Snell part, and also there's a little bit of Bryce Harper content in there a little bit as well. Well,
1: <laughs> I like the fact that he he made the comments while well on Twitch, which is you know infected our podcast lately as we keep talking about it. Uh, hey listen
0: twitch is doing a good job with that platform man they're becoming a lot more relevant is all i'm trying to say
1: yeah no i can't argue with you there carlos
0: it's very wise for them because it's like hey you know what if people are if if quote-unquote celebrities and people are going to come on that doesn't hurt twitch and you know who owns twitch
1: who does i don't know amazon of course they do
0: i'm just saying they're not fighting you on this is all i'm trying to say because if you got amazon prime you can subscribe quote-unquote for free to one of the to one of the Twitch streamers, and they receive the the normal amount. Uh, so it's like five dollars a month to subscribe to somebody, and they get two dollars and fifty cents of that. So you can basically gift them two dollars and fifty cents. Hmm.
1: Yeah. No, I don't really want to do that. What's that? I said I don't really want to do that.
0: Well, if you already have Amazon Prime, it doesn't really cost you any extra.
1: But I get it. Why? Well, and I have Amazon Prime, so I mean, I'm yeah. still giving so Amazon they, my money, right?
0: Yeah, that's what I mean. Like the, the you're giving Amazon the money either way, whether you do it or not. But in this case, you can also, you know, don't, if you actually watch somebody on Twitch, then that's your way of patronizing them without actually taking money out of your own pocket. All right, then this is good. To yeah, know. so it's it's a little add-on they threw in there, and I, I thought it was very wise. It was a way of promoting their platform, and obviously, the more we talk about Twitch, the more it promotes the platform. There you go. Yep. So go ahead, the Bryce Harper thing.
1: Right. So so Blake Stone was basically talking about how it's unfair and going on a little bit of a rant about how it's unfair and they shouldn't have to uh, MLB players shouldn't have to take a pay cut. Now, Blake Snell's on the lower end to be fair of the MLB pay scale. He's still scheduled to make over a million dollars. So that's-
0: I will say though, just a quick point, because I want to talk about the rest of the implications based on it, but I will say on the surface, he's not wrong. No, but the problem is like,
1: and the same thing as Bryce Harper has basically come on and said, yeah, he's right. Like, cause he got a lot of flack for it and and Bryce sure. Harper's come out and defended him and said no he's right and like I get where they're coming from the problem is the average person doesn't give a shit about you MLB yes. player because yeah it, you know no matter pretty much how much you would prorate their contract based on a shortened season they're still making more than the average american by a lot right mm-hmm. so you're not going to yeah. get any sympathy the players aren't getting any sympathy period yes and i get how the owners are you know, talking about it. basically it was something there was a stat out today that basically said that uh, one game without fans equals six hundred and forty thousand dollar loss. Yes. Right. To the owners. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, so obviously, if they're going to do what the latest talk that I've heard is an eighty two game schedule. So basically mm-hmm. half the regular season is well, is that eighty two times six hundred forty thousand dollars per you know owner.
0: I was kind of hoping you would actually do the math. That would be funny.
1: Yeah. No, that's not do- getting done in my head. Sorry. Disgrace. But you get it, right? Like that's a thing where that's unfathomable money for most people. So it's like, you know what? I don't like personally, I think most people are saying, Blake Snell, I don't give a shit. Like, you know, how many millions of Americans, millions of Canadians are unemployed right now? Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, that's fair. You know, they, they don't. So it's a thing that's like, like, I get what he's saying. And to a degree, like you have a right, you've signed a contract. But at the same time, like it's hard to argue if you're not providing at least the same amount of service time, why you should be getting paid the same amount of money when you're not actually playing.
0: That's fair. So let me let me argue the other side on this one. It's fair that somebody can say, you know what, for the average person looking at it from that perspective, you know, you're already making a lot of money and who cares if you're not getting paid the full amount and all that. And the average person has every right to feel that way because that's perfectly reasonable. To your point, a lot of folks that... Are currently working or unemployed. But I think from the other side of it, and the reason why the owners just can't unilaterally do it, because, because in most employment things, if you're working in a regular quote unquote job, the the person who runs the business can just be like, all right, I've cut back your hours, so I'm cutting back your pay. In a lot of regular places, they can do that. They can put you on furlough. They can, There's a lot of things they can do where like, I'm not paying you you know, during the time that you're not able to do your job. And they would be within their rights to do that. But the, the reason why they can't do it here is because those athlete contracts are guaranteed contracts. And the thing is, when you sign the contract, you're signing it that if, if I am capable physically of providing the service or playing the game or doing whatever, then you pay me. It's not, based on the, it's not prorated based on the amount of games. They don't get paid by the game. They're, they're paid with the idea that it's like, well, you should be available for 162 regular season games. But the contract says I get paid this per year. Full stop. Broken down in these payments. Full stop. And the poss- and the reality that the owners would lose. I think it was six hundred forty thousand per game, right?
1: Yes, that's correct.
0: Yeah, so that works out to just under fifty two and a half million dollars a year for one team.
1: Yeah, that's a significant amount of money.
0: It is, but at the same time, the owner's a billionaire, and I can argue the other side. I go, well, I don't care if you lose fifty two billion. Fifty two million. That's your problem. Well,
1: yeah, and I think you're like going it's to have your a business. People that would are going to argue that point.
0: Yeah. And the other thing is, so, you know, if that happens, do you forfeit the TV money? Because I don't bet because I bet you don't. Are you making more than 52 million for that 82 game schedule and TV money? Probably yes. So then you're still turning a profit. So what's your problem
1: with that argumentative standpoint? Then,
0: yeah, right. Is otherwise, if your argument is that you cannot possibly make a profit based on the prorated season, then my suggestion to you is cancel the season.
1: Yes, I would agree with you there.
0: Because it's like if your argument is – I go back to my original statement from the last couple of weeks. If you're telling me you cannot run a business and make money, you're telling me somehow you're paying the players so much money that, they're, you know, that their salaries are so onerous. The salaries that you agreed to with a system where while you, while you don't have a hard cap, you do have a luxury tax, which you guys came up with, you're telling me that you still couldn't control yourself. You're still paying Mike Trout $35 million a year. Is that Mike Trout's fault or yours? well exactly it's yeah so it's one of those things if i'm a player and i have a contract unless i have done something where i am impeding it from being fulfilled and in this case i'm not because right now none of us are playing then pay me my money i don't care what your situation is that's your problem not mine and the the reality now the the beauty of it is the owners get to be able to play this card i was like oh those greedy players it's like <laughs> what about the greedy owner who wants to go back and play uh, in order to recuperate their money because the TV money is bigger, full stop. And it's one of those things where like, I don't begrudge somebody making money. But at the same time, like if you sign a contract, you honor the contract. If you cannot honor the contract, okay, great. Then make all the players free agents and let's see what happens. Yeah. Because, because that, if you can't honor the contract, then cancel the contract. And then let's re- revisit this discussion because that'll make things real interesting, real fast. for Because there's going to be somebody who will break ranks and be like, oh my God, I can get an all-star team. I'll pay all the players. Well, then you reset the market. It's like I get both sides, but at the same time, it's like I don't care about either one of your plights, but the players are not wrong when they can say like, well, we're not the ones who are breaking this. Why do I have to give you back money because you screwed up?
1: Yeah, well, exactly.
0: Yeah. And at the end of the day, if your business is profitable or not, that's not my problem. You're paying me to play. You're not paying me to make. If no fans came in the stand normally, that sucks for you, but you still have to pay me. (laughs) Like, Imagine if you're one of those teams who have like no attendance, like before. And the players are getting paid a bunch of money. Well, you then you try to trade off the player or dump off the player for salary considerations. Well, did the change? Did the player not perform the service? You still have to pay them. Now, if you trade them to somebody else and they take on the the salary commitment, well, then great. But the point is, you signed the contract. You still have to pay them whether you have attendance or not.
1: Yes, this is true. All true. And it's the
0: same. It's the same issue here. In this case, we don't have attendance because of a safety issue, but you still want to have the games for the television product. Therefore. The players are are in a good, in a reasonable position to be like not ridiculous and saying like, look, if you still expect us to do the same job that we were doing before, then I expect you to pay the contract that we already agreed to. Why on earth would I give you any money back? Now, bringing it back to a real world example, imagine if we're in the same vein. You're in a job where you still, you're not going to, you're not, you're not firing me, you're not laying me off, but at the same time, you want to retain our services, but my contract is such that you pay me X amount per month. Now, can you furlough me and do all that to a certain degree? Yes. But what if my contract, what if I'm a contractor of some kind and my contract is a certain amount per month and I'm capable of providing the service? It's just, you won't allow me to. Then we have to figure out what the compromise is, but it's like, technically I don't have to give you back anything. But at the same time, you could say, well, we can't do any service, so I can't keep paying you. And that's where we get, that's where we get stuck. Then our lawyers get involved because then we have to figure it out because, uh, because I'm like, well, my contract was locked in for X amount. Yeah, it goes into litigation.
1: Yeah, and I and I mean this very well could go into litigation. I hope it doesn't. Uh, in general, but
0: we don't know what's going to happen.
1: Every time a league gets closer to a plan, or some leagues, it seems that another wrench gets thrown in there, right? But Ken Kershaw's come out and said, you know, I really want to make sure if we're going to do this that the owners and the players are on the same page, and you know, so there's been some players who are have been more diplomatic about it. Uh, obviously, the agents have had their say. Uh, Scott Boris has been extremely vocal. Of course, is Blake Snell a I, I'm thinking he might be a Boris client.
0: Um, it's possible. He he does have a lot of clients in it. I can try to look it up. But the, um, but the, I genuinely the point don't is, know. you know, there's a lots of people who have stake, and
1: the point is, you're not going to make as much money as you did, right? And I think it would be smart on the players to say, okay, we're going to do some kind of prorated salary here, obviously, and then and then see where it goes, right? try and make a negotiation out of it because if you're not going to compromise in any way you're going to be made out to be the bad guys right as opposed to the owners even though really they're both bad guys in some ways but at the same time as you said before you know if someone's like hey i'm going to give you 250 million dollars a year to play baseball are you gonna be like no i would like less money please of course not
0: yes it would be irresponsible of you to sign this contract because you cannot possibly make a profit on it no i don't give a crap that's your problem
1: i don't begrudge a player who signed a deal that they were offered. But obviously we're in different times now and we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah. It's one of those things where as soon as you go to the public, you're basically trying to make somebody else look bad, which I get from a tactical standpoint, but I don't get from a long-term uh, labor piece standpoint because it's like, well, the reality is we're still back to the same original issue. If you're telling me that I have to, if, I, if you're telling me that I have to claw back my salary to allow you to be profitable, Then my statement is, what's wrong with your business model? And what can we do to change the business model to make it more profitable? And then at the same time, I want some concessions too. I want something in return because you're taking money out of my pocket. Yeah, which I think is fair. It's like You got to ask for something because it's like, I'm not giving you something for nothing.
1: I I think you got to figure out some kind of compromise and... Go from there.
0: Yeah. I just don't want to let the owners off the hook because, again, they're basically trying to plead poverty at the same time that it's like, well, if that's the case, then maybe you need to sell the team to somebody who knows how to run a business. Exactly. That's just my thing on it. Now, I will say one other thing, kind of branching off of this real quick, is that I think the bigger issue, uh, the Blake Snell thing was obviously he got some flack for it, but then the one who gets a fair bit of flack as well is uh, Bryce Harper because he's getting he's got the mega contract, right? Yes. <laughs> which makes it a lot more interesting and more fun. I guess the question is, though, like do the higher salaried players have either A, more of a responsibility or B, more of a target on their back if they have if they even discuss these matters? Are they kind of in a no-win situation given their contracts? Of course they're
1: in a no-win situation. I don't think there's any way you can argue that they're not, right? Especially Har- and especially Harper, who's a bit of a polarizing figure to begin with, right? Only a little. <laughs> I mean, it was somewhat satisfying. I'm not going to lie uh to watch Nash uh, sorry Nash I wanna said Nashville, but the Nationals, Washington Nationals, win the World Series the year after they got rid of Bryce Harper or didn't re-sign him. I mean, there's I don't know, there was something satisfying in that. But I've never been a huge Bryce Harper fan. Uh I think he's, you know, a slightly overrated player. I'm gonna say that. Uh is he worth his contract? Hell no. But nobody is that kind of money. And he went to Philadelphia and he had an okay season. We'll see what happens this year if it gets played and what that's going to mean and whatnot but somebody like Bryce Harper probably does know better I think he just can't resist spouting his mouth off
0: yeah it's one of those things where I think he'll always get a lot of flack for being kind of a more outspoken player given technically how little he's accomplished in the game it is kind of interesting because obviously he's got some hardware but at the same time like he's been very inconsistent in his career and he's gotten handsomely paid for inconsistency It's one of those things where it's been a little bit, it's always been a little bit of a weird thing with Bryce Harper. And again, he still has all the potential in the world, but it's still, we're still kind of left wondering, like, "Eh, I don't know, you know?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. It's like I'm playing premium dollars for what may or may not be a premium product. And I still have serious questions long-term what the benefits of that are, because right now we haven't seen too many of those gigantic contracts in that stratosphere be successful. Because not because those players who are getting in that, you know, in that range right now, the Manny Machados, the uh, Bryce Harper's, the Mike Trouts, you know, have produced like zero playoff appearances in the last since signing those mega contracts. Yeah. You you like how I still got my. my Well, I was
1: I I was, you know, every episode it's like, okay how is he going to rip Mike Trout? How is he going to rip Tom Brady if we're not specifically talking about either of those two things? And you usually find a way, Carlos, you usually find a way.
0: Let's be fair. Let's be fair, Dave. If worse, if worse comes to worse, I I would always just come out of left field and something that makes absolutely no sense. You'll be talking about something. It's like, Dave, thanks for the pretentious cross country running report. It kind of sucks. But you know what else sucks? Mike Trout.
1: Yeah, that's that's very you.
0: Yeah, we can get we can get to a segue one way or the other, and I may as well take two shots at two things simultaneously. In a related note, uh, you know what sucks, Dave?
1: The Seattle Mariners?
0: Well, no, we'll get to that. Tom Brady. But not related to Tom Brady, do you want to do Seattle Mariners first or last dance to finish it off?
1: Oh, I I'd always want to finish off with the last dance. So let's. Okay, so let's
0: talk about the Seattle Mariners episode six of the SB Nation documentary, which if you folks haven't been watching, you should. It's excellent. It's really well done. And we finally got the last episode in there, uh, which was solid. There's really a lot to to digest and unpack. We're not going to go into all of it in this segment, but what what are your thoughts on the specific episode? And then also, Dave, what are your thoughts on the series as a whole?
1: All right, so the specific episode uh, I thought was somewhat disjointed because it was it was at a place where, you know, you want to wrap it up, but you still want to kind of tell a couple of stories. And so it kind of went, like, back. It kind of meandered a little bit too much for me. But the big, you know, character they were talking about for most of the time was Felix Hernandez. And it's, it's just like, oh, man. It's just another player who, you know, chose to stay with Seattle. Basically got nothing out of it.
0: Well, in fairness, he was the only player who chose to stay with Seattle. True. Uh,
1: and then, you know, got nothing out of it except injuries. And now is, you know, a shell of his former self. I liked I liked this episode for the stories it had, though. So the stories of... <laughs> Apparently, it's a thing for people to leave Seattle and just start driving where, you know, Griffey driving to Orlando. The best part about that story, though, is the guy who calls Chamber Unner from the gas station. It's like, dude, I think I just saw Griffey at the gas station in like Montana. That, that's that's the best part of that story.
0: Not what actually happened. Do you not think that's like the most Seattle Mariners thing that could have happened at that moment? Of course it is,
1: right? I mean, you know, you've been on this journey if you're watching the whole thing and and the strangeness and the strangeness and the strangeness. So it's you're kind of like, yeah, that totally makes sense that that would happen. And then there was another player, I can't remember his name, uh, that, that, that did like the same thing. Obviously, he didn't drive to Orlando, but he just, you know, or the guy who was on his bicycle who became a triathlete who just rode his bicycle out of Safeco Field never to return.
0: Yeah, that seems to be like a thing. Like what, Carlos? What? The Seattle Mariners, everybody. But um, here's the thing about that. Uh, my favorite part about that whole business is that, and Dave already kind of mentioned it, but I'll make it clear for everybody. We're talking about Ken Griffey Jr., icon of the Seattle Mariners, who in his final season just realized that he didn't have it anymore. And normally, Dave, when you realize this, you set, you go to your manager, you go to your general manager, and say, "Hey, guys, you know, thanks for the opportunity to play one more year." I just don't think I have it in me anymore. Uh let me know if there's something I can do to help out. Maybe I'll be a bench coach, you know, I can kind of work with the guys here a little bit. I'll make myself useful and then we'll we'll call it a we'll call it a career here. Uh but no, he just gets in a car, and drives home.
1: Yeah, but also home is Across the country, first of all, it's all the way on the other side of the country, going east. But it's also like the furthest south he could go to
0: Yeah, because because Ken Griffey Jr. doesn't know about the existence of the airplane.
1: Yeah, but I mean, it's a way better story that you know. I I'm so glad that he didn't take a plane because it makes for such a better story.
0: Otherwise. I would have appreciated it if he had taken like a Winnebago or just you know taken it some kind of a, or an RV or something and done that and like road tripped it. And then like halfway there, he just happens to run into Ichiro, and then they have a road trip back to Florida.
1: Yes. Yes,
0: I think that would have been like a beautiful cherry on top, chef's kiss kind of. Yeah, why not? Because reasons. And really, the way this documentary went, if if he had if they had said that, would you not have believed them at this point?
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: As ridiculous as that sounds, it's like is that really not plausible with this franchise? No, it's totally plausible. It's entirely within the realm of possibility.
1: The Mariners, man, and I. But I did, I did like how they sort of all tied it together at the end, where they they talked about Roger Schmodis the guy who named the team, but then disappeared off the face of the earth and how he, you know, who was he ever really a real person? Uh, but basically said he picked the name Mariners because of all the rewards that the sea have given the people of Seattle as well as all taken away. And it, it just, that quote right there just felt perfect for this team for me based on all the weird shit that we've watched over the course of six episodes.
0: I think it does feel like in the realm of something we talked about already with some documentaries about the narrative thread it does feel like the SB Nation guys took that quote and thought to themselves, how can we bookend it with this quote? And then as they went along the narrative, they managed to find their way back to that original quote. And it, it I, I felt like as a narrative thing, like, yeah, I think... To your point, and, and I, by the way, uh, just so we're all clear, I find it tremendously ironic, and I want it on the record that I find it tremendously wonderful that Dave would talk about someone meandering, considering I may have to cut out like ten minutes of the first part of this podcast. But the thing is, the final episode in the end stuck the landing, which I thought was fantastic.
1: Yeah, I would give you that. that ended well. and and honestly, it's a great series for for what they've done and for the the lack of actual footage, you know, that they have in the documentary. They've done a really good job of putting it together, tying everything together, making it make sense, and giving you enough to keep you watching, right?
0: Yeah, I think they used the footage they were able to use judiciously because they did have some footage. But I think they were very controlled in what they used because I think they didn't want to incur the wrath of Major League Baseball. Of course. They wanted to kind of keep it. They wanted to kind of be like, we'll use some because it'll help kind of explain what we're showing you just so that you all understand. But at the same time, it's like, this is how it's going to have to be. Now, there was one, I don't remember the exact sequence of events. I want to say, um, wasn't there a clip during one of the games where they did show the clip and there was a weird triple play?
1: Yes. Against the Blue Jays.
0: Yeah. And it was just like, how?
1: Do you want the? I'll give you the play by play here for you. Okay. Grounded to first. Trumbo touches first base for out. Throws to Miller at second. Runner gets in a pickle. Runner on third wanders towards home. Miller runs toward runner between third and home, while runner from first makes his way around to third. Miller flips to Zanino, who forces runner back to third, where runner from first is already standing. So one of them is going to be tagged out regardless. But then Carrera, for some reason, stepped off third base and Zanino tagged him out for number three.
0: As you do. Yeah. And that right there is the Seattle Mariners, ladies and gentlemen. So even when something goes right, it's because of weirdness. In this case, it wasn't something bad that happened. It's something good that happened, but it's still weird as hell. It's
1: just, (laughs) oh my.
0: Nothing can ever be normal for the Seattle Mariners, I think, is our overarching takeaway from this entire documentary. Nothing normal can ever happen for this franchise.
1: But if you haven't seen it, it's totally worth checking out because it is very entertaining.
0: Yes. So I look forward to when they get rid of all their good players. Go 162-0 and and sweep the playoffs and then never make it to the playoffs ever again for as long as baseball has ever played. I will say really quickly that we struggle to explain it because we can't do it justice. Like, it's too hard to explain. There's just too much weird shit that happens over the course of six episodes. And And we're saying it sincerely. Honestly, go and watch it yourself because they do an infinitely better job narrating and explaining it because you have to kind of stick with it because... Stuff will be like – you'll have kind of a crooked eyebrow to it, and then you'll be like, what does this have to do with it? And then it's like, wait. Just wait.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: It'll come around. You'll understand why. And they do a pretty good job of saying, remember this name or remember this date or remember this person or whatever. And then they refer back to it, and then the reference will kick in later.
1: Which is a a good thing to – to know too
0: yeah because like i said they do a pretty good job it's very clear they had an idea in mind as they built these episodes where each episode built on itself and eventually you realize what the themes were and you were eventually able to go like oh so that's what you were talking about back an episode ago or whatever and then you'll get there and you and you end up with an overall this very colorful existence of this franchise where you you have no idea what the future holds for this team but whatever it is is probably going to be bizarre
1: they could probably go and you know and it, it. this would be actually really interesting to think. So if they do end up going with an 82 game schedule this year, I feel that just opens up the potential for more weird shit from Seattle.
0: I look forward to the possibility of that happening. And I look forward to the possibility of an 82 game regular season resulting in Mike Trout missing 45 games and winning a fourth MVP. Because why not? Also quite possible. It's like, he only played 40 games because, but he's Mike Trout. So we give him an MVP. It's like, but he sucked. He's Mike Trout. We give him an MVP. I'm still mad about the last MVP is what I'm trying to get at. Apparently. I'm just saying. I'll dissect it another day, but I'm just saying that was the last one in particular was bullshit. Anyhow, so that's it for the Seattle Mariners one. Let's have a quick discussion about the last dance. So now we're going to talk about episode seven, episode eight. Let me quickly give just an outline so that everybody understands, and then we'll talk about the individual pieces, Dave. So really, all that needs to be known is that by this point, The narrative has moved along, and the documentary moves backwards and forwards in time, so you have to keep that in mind. But by episode seven, we get to the third championship, Michael Jordan going to play baseball, the death of his father. There's a lot going on here. And Michael Jordan was very exhausted, but then he goes to try to play baseball. And then the Bulls try to play with Scottie Pippen, being the lead guy. And do quite well. They only won two fewer games. That's right. And he did pretty well, all things considered. But as you go along and you continue down this thread, the... The next part of it is that now Michael Jordan returns and then they actually have a playoff loss in 95 against the Orlando Magic, which then fuels him to go into the next repeat. And then obviously you continue forward into finally getting into the last dance season because we've gone back and forth and then now we're progressing along in that season as well. So episode 7, episode 8, but first let's talk about episode 7, the end of the first repeat, and then Michael Jordan going to play baseball and then the, and then, obviously his father getting murdered and what's going on during this time period. Any thoughts on that part first before we get to episode eight?
1: Yeah, so before I talk about that, I just I learned something this week that I found was a really interesting tidbit. I don't know if you knew it, but I wanted to put it out there. Did you know that there's, I think, three locations that Michael Jordan's interviewed in? Do you know none of them are actually his house?
0: Why not? Uh, is, are any of them in a casino? No. Although that would have been well, awesome. There are, so, so what happened was
1: they rented a, a Miami mansion for like one of the interviews. It's the one where there's like palm trees you can see out the window. Okay. And then the other two, the director was like, Hey, to his friends, like, Hey guys, I, uh, I need someone to interview Michael Jordan. Can I use your house? <laughs> like, Could you imagine getting a phone call? Yeah. Uh, hey, Carlos, we need to uh, do an interview with uh, Tom Brady. Can we come over by your place? <laughs> like, no, the answer is a hundred
0: percent. Yes. Because I don't have air conditioning or heating. He'll be miserable. It'll be great.
1: So I just thought that was kind of an interesting thing. Um, I was excited to watch this episode. Because I love baseball, and I love this documentary. And I was – obviously, Jordan's baseball career was very short-lived and not overly successful. Uh, but I heard one particular interesting thing. Uh, so I listened to a couple – well, he's in the documentary, Terry Francona, who was actually the manager of the Birmingham Barons at the time. Who is he managing now? Is he a Cleveland manager now?
0: Uh, he was up until recently. I think he still is. So, uh,
1: but the the point is that he – the the comment that he said – with 1,500 at-bats, and I listened to an interview with him on an ESPN baseball podcast as well. He said the same thing on that interview. With 1,500 at-bats, Jordan would have been a major leaguer. But there's a theory out there that I was listening to another part where we're saying, like, yeah, he said that, but he fully well knew that he's kind of saying Jordan would never make the major leagues because he knew that he was never going to get the 1,500 at-bats based on his age, which I found kind of interesting.
0: The thing is, that's not true because if Michael Jordan had felt like doing it, Jerry Reinsdorf would have let him keep playing until he was four hundred and five. True, like he uh, at the end, he was paying him his basketball salary to play minor league baseball. So clearly, yeah, he wanted which I wanted to think that's another
1: interesting point too that I did not know previously that he was getting paid his basketball salary. Which so he's getting paid a crap ton of money to, you know, ride the bus from game to game.
0: Yeah. So the so the thing is that from that perspective, Jerry Reinsdorf was trying to keep him happy in whatever way he could keep him happy because he was still kind of the meal ticket for the franchise. All like even if he was in an ambassador role, he's still a meal ticket for the franchise. But um, I don't have an issue with Terry Francona saying it, even if it's not completely sincere, because I think he would have improved. He only played one season. Like we can't act like he spent years and years and years playing minor league baseball and didn't show improvement. He only had the no. one year.
1: Oh. And and remember, he's also thrown into to double A, which may not be where I mean, obviously someone his if it wasn't Michael Jordan, obviously he's going to start at, you know, a ball, some kind of rookie league. Who knows? Probably right? a
0: ball or Arizona Fall League, something like that, just to get him started. Well,
1: he played in the Arizona Fall League, though. No, I got it. But that's I once was. he had once right. he had,
0: had the, the year in double A, I'm saying they would have probably said, yeah, train for summer. Get, and then we'll put you in Arizona Fall League. And then you can roll into like a double A or a single A.
1: Yeah. And, you know, he did quite well in the Arizona Fall League. But by, by, And he did not horrible. I mean, I think maybe he did better than expectations, depending on, I guess, on what your expectations are. He hit, what, 202. Uh, and I think his on-base percentage was like 289 uh, in his season at double A. But, you know, he went right into double A, which is probably not where you normally would have started out in that situation.
0: The best way to look at it is this, and this is the way I'll put it to you. We're still talking about professional baseball. Like people think like, oh double A, no, double A is still professional baseball. It generally means the pitchers are good pitchers, but they have a weakness. They don't have the uh the ability to change speeds or hit locations or whatever that a professional at a higher level would have. but the the, the gap between A ball and double A ball is huge. The gap between double-A ball and triple-A ball is huge. And then you go triple-A to the major leagues. You'll see from a lot of guys that are dominant at the triple-A level that can't manage at the major league level that struggle. Yeah. But you also
1: see a bunch of guys now. I don't know if it was the same case then. But now that you know, hot prospects go straight from double-A to the major leagues, they skip triple-A.
0: Totally. But the thing is, if you're a great hitter and you actually know what you're doing at the plate, the skill will translate. Like, I'll give, you, yeah. I'll give you an old example of one that, you know, outside of, like, Toronto area people forget about. John Oliver didn't play a single game of minor league baseball.
1: That is correct. He went straight
0: from college to the major leagues. And he, and yeah. he won a batting title. And he hit 350 for the New York Mets a different year. So it's like, yeah. if you can hit, you can hit. But it's an acquired, it's, it's an ability. It's something that you have to work on and harness. And Michael Jordan spent years and years, like, he played baseball in, like, high school. And you can't jump from high school baseball to, you know, to playing in the even even a quote unquote low level professional baseball. And double A is kind of when you're getting closer to that higher level baseball because you're you're on the cusp of triple A and then you're on the cusp of major leagues. And it takes time to develop and process that because even the documentary they talk about it when they're doing the assessment, they say, okay, he's actually hitting kind of okay. He had a hitting streak to start off because he's hitting fastballs. And then they say, okay, let's see how long it takes for them to realize that they need to start throwing them off speed. Because that's what happens with a lot of hitters who can hit a fastball. If you can hit a fastball, you're halfway there. But the second half is when they start realizing that. And then they start throwing you off speed to, to mess with your timing.
1: Yeah, it's it's like, are you Serrano or not?
0: Yeah, and that's how they play that game to you. Because uh, it's like, there's, there's a, a thousand guys at the AAA level who can rake when you throw them the fastball. They can crush it. And you're sitting there and you'll watch them do it. And it's like, oh, my God, this person should be in the major leagues. And then they throw them a curveball and they spin like a top.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: And that's a big difference, a big di- And I can put it in a different perspective kind of to let people kind of think about this. Let's put it this way. Years ago now, it was like back in 2013, I was a J season ticket holder. And one of the things I got to do uh, was I got to play in, um I got to go do a little event at the Skydome where they uh, had Dwayne Ward there. And you got to do all these little drills and things on the field. And it was fun. Um, And as part of it, Dwayne Ward would throw batting practice where he let everybody take a couple of hacks. And here's the thing. Dwayne Ward, you know, his arm was busted, uh, which ended his major league career. But Dwayne Ward can still throw it harder than the average person. But at the same time, he's also trying to groove them down the middle to let you make contact.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: A lot of people who were athletes and other things and thought themselves as athletes would go up there with an aluminum baseball bat. And they'd get hits because Dwayne Ward is grooving it in there for you, but they'd still struggle to hit certain balls because if somebody hit too many, then Dwayne Ward would start to throw some uh, off-speed pitches and they would look like complete idiots. And that's what Dwayne Ward was in his 50s.
1: How did Carlos do?
0: I barely made contact with the ball. I had a migraine headache and spent the next two days in bed.
1: That sucks, man.
0: It does, but it was one of those things where now a migraine headache will really mess with you, but I can tell you he, th- he could actually throw pretty hard, all things considered. And he was trying to groove it in for me. It wasn't that, uh, let's put it this way. under normal circumstance, I would have no problem hitting a couple of balls he was throwing because they were right where you want them. I just couldn't like, my head was bothering me a little bit when I was fielding. it wasn't giving me an issue, but I was there's where I was wearing. I was wearing shades indoors because the stadium lights were bothering my eyes. Right. So I didn't realize what the problem was until I spent the next two days in bed. (laughs) But, um, yeah, but it was one of those things where at least I got to go in in there and step onto the plate against uh, Dwayne Ward, you know, and it was fun. But I will say that I would love to have done it where I was feeling better. Yeah, for sure. But I can definitely tell you that he could still hit his spots. He could still throw at that time. This is seven years ago now. But he could still throw uh, decently. It, again, he's, he wasn't going to play professional baseball anywhere. But again, this is a former major league pitcher who was very good. Like, he was an exceptionally good closer in his day. The, again, this is a guy in his 50s who can still throw pretty well, and when somebody got a little too cocky, he'd just throw an off-speed pitch and just kind of screw with you.
1: Well, wow, that's funny, actually. I like that.
0: Now think about somebody in their 20s who's still got all their arm strength and is able to do whatever they want.
1: Yeah, Well, wow.
0: They can make you look absolutely stupid. So that's the difference between like an amateur just kind of screwing around, going to the batting cage and feeling good about themselves, and somebody who's pitching against somebody whose job it is to try to prevent you from hitting. They're not trying to help you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm just saying everybody needs to keep in mind that Michael Jordan in his 30s. Normally, you don't start trying to play professional baseball in your 30s. That's not traditionally the way you do it. And hitting is so hard, even if things are good, especially if you try to do it after you haven't done it properly for a long time.
1: Yeah, there you go.
0: So considering that, I think he did fine. <laughs> considering that, I think he did quite well. Hitting one out of every five at bats, I think it's very reasonable for a guy who is an athlete, but is trying to adjust to a completely different game. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That just makes the Bo Jacksons and the Deion Sanders of the world more freakish in the sense that they were able to adapt to two sports simultaneously.
1: Yeah. It's true. Right. But it is, I don't know. There's just something about, you know, and this is another thing I think that comes out of it is that, like, the mystique and the myth. Well, not, sorry, I shouldn't say myth, but the mystique of Jordan. I guess that's really the only word I want. About, you know, would he be the same Michael Jordan if he hadn't gone and played baseball? Would the, you know, the fact that he was able to go take, not a year and a half off or whatever from basketball, change his workouts, change the way, you know, he was he was training his body, then switch back to basketball, still be hugely dominant and win another three championships. Like that's crazy when you think about it. And I think him going to play baseball just adds to the lore of of MJ. Right? <laughs> this is the joke they were making. They're on um on one of the podcasts I was listening to, one of the Canadian basketball podcasts, that basically they're saying Look, if LeBron wants to be the greatest player ever, like if he wants to be better than MJ, like forget the championship, it he needs to take like some time off, go play for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers because he always wanted to play football, play like a season with them, and then come back to the NBA and dominate.
0: I think that would be entertaining, but I think it would be better to to the point that we're trying to make is that um, if he goes in and he uh, and he goes in there and does that for a season, wins the Grey Cup. And then goes to the NFL for a season and becomes a, and like catches the game-winning touchdown in the Super Bowl. And He's like, "Eat this, Jordan!" <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> and that game-winning touchdown was thrown by Jameis Winston.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, you know. Uh, listen, all-time, you know, great New Orleans quarterback. It's about time after all these years that New Orleans finally had a quarterback they could be proud of, somebody who can lead that franchise to its first ever championship.
1: And if he specially said like, "Eat this, Jordan!" Now go get LASIK, everybody. Even better.
0: I like how you didn't even comment on the first ever New Orleans championship.
1: No, I'm not. I'm just, I'm not going to take that bait, Carlos.
0: You know, Google is questioning whether that was even, whether it was rigged or not. Google questions a
1: lot of things. Time off from regular life gives a conspiracy theorist a lot of time to, you know, come up with some stuff.
0: H- how does that, how does that pertain to the NFC championship being rigged according to Google?
1: It's a conspiracy theory.
0: That means someone had to type that in Dave and it wasn't me. <laughs> I wasn't looking for it. I just found How did you it. Type I, like, in?
1: I just want to see if it comes up for me too, right now.
0: I originally was typing in, uh, like, I think it was the 2009 NFC Championship, right? Yeah. yeah. So I started typing in, like, literally 2009 NFC Championship. Yeah. Championship game. And it's the second thing that comes up for me.
1: It is the fourth thing that comes up for me,
0: which means people have typed it.
1: I want to, anyway, that'll be another rabbit hole I'll go down another time.
0: Just so we're clear, I had never typed it in before for any reason up until then. And it's the second thing that came up for me, is all I'm saying. Which may have made Fair me not. cackle in my house.
1: Whatever brings you joy, right?
0: What does the Google know, Dave? What does the Google know? What are you? What are you in New Orleans? What are you in Sir Saint hiding?
1: It's actually gumbo. It's not Sir Saint.
0: Whatever. Who cares? No. If they get a franchise someday in the NFL, we'll talk. But the point is, what are you and whatever mascot they've got hiding?
1: That's why they have two. Uh you know what? You're never gonna know, Carlos. You're never gonna know.
0: That's it. We'll find out. I'll ask Jameis Winston. I'll find out the truth. <laughs> It'll be like when he becomes the president and they give him the nuclear football and he finds out all about Area 51, everything. Jameis, tell me everything you know about the 2009 NFC Championship. Well, Carlos, let me tell you. It's a sorry tale. Here's some files. Read this over.
1: I like it. I knew it.
0: Anyway, the overarching thing really came down to is that uh, it would have been an interesting thing. I do think the time off helped Michael Jordan because it helped him kind of reset. Also, the fact is his dad died, so I'm sure he needed to reset mentally. And the fact that people accused him of His gambling problems being the reason he was murdered, I think would be something that would irritate me. Of course. Now, he has a gambling problem, just so we're all clear. He does have a gambling problem. But nothing in that portion of the conversation suggests that someone would have murdered his dad over it. Correct. It does feel like a bit of a stretch. And, it, and the fact that, you know, uh, reporters would question it in that way uh, would kind of piss me off and make me want, not want to deal with it.
1: Yeah, I, I think from, a, you know, having to go so hard to win the three to obviously, ha- like, I can't imagine having your dad murdered. Like, obviously, like, he was mentally done at that point.
0: And also, it's your fault. Dave. Yeah, fuck that. You know, like, yeah, <laughs> That's like, what I mean. of course,
1: of course, he's going to be burnt out and pissed off. And you know what? I think him going to play baseball served him well obviously, in the long run.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, they did do a good job in the documentary of covering that because part of the thing with him playing baseball was he was able to focus his attention on something else that he wasn't necessarily good at. And I think that's the thing with Jordan. He needs a challenge, right? So completely taking on a different sport qualifies as a challenge. And obviously he's not the greatest at it, so he can't claim to be. So for him, it's like something to consistently pursue and try to get better at a certain disciplines and try to learn how to hit a curveball and do all those things. And then at the same time, he gets to kind of hang out with uh, his teammates who like know he's a great basketball player, but it's like as a baseball player, frankly, I'm better than you are. So we're kind of on like, uh, it levels the playing field a little bit if you're a player with him in the locker room. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like, well, I may not be the basketball player you are, up until you prove otherwise, I'm a better baseball player than you are, and you're here playing baseball. You're playing in this field. So I think that made it a little bit more interesting, and it gave him a different perspective and helped him with that portion of it. So that's kind of that episode. Now he makes the comeback. And they also do a little bit on Space Jam, obviously. In the I did think the stories regarding the practices on the Space Jam facility they built for him was kind of interesting.
1: Yes, that was cool. And apparently that it was, you know, that summer was the place to be, right? Cuz the one thing they're saying in the documentary they didn't mention is all like the Hollywood stars that came. Apparently George Clooney was playing basketball there, as an example. Uh, the director of the movie was often on the court as well. That's all I have to mention. <laughs>
0: What, nothing about the cast, the characters of all the NBA guys that came? I was just
1: going to say, I I feel like if you watch the thing, that's pretty common knowledge. I didn't want to get into that. I was just saying that.
0: No, it's fair. But I think I think the documentary sheds light on the lengths that they went to accommodate Jordan on the movie set because they literally built him like a little facility with, you know, workout equipment and with a court and with all that stuff. So that he could do that while in between shooting. It's kind of an unusual arrangement, you know, no, especially sure. thinking. But of I that mean
1: time. that also goes to hit like Jordan's character and him being like this unique person where it's like, whoa, you're shooting a movie, you're getting you know, your your shoot starts, not you're getting up at seven every morning, your shoot starts at seven in the morning, you're going all day and then you're playing like basketball after your shoot or in the middle of like when you have a break and then you know, you're probably going out gambling at night. So they didn't mention the documentary, but I mean, you know we can read between the lines right
0: now. uh, So that leads to the obvious question. So um, how many, what do you think the LeBron facility will look like for space jam Two? That would be interesting. I would be very doubtful if he'd build a facility.
1: Oh, I don't think it'll happen. I mean, LeBron's been in a couple of other movies too, right?
0: Oh yeah. 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 But more of a cameo role for him though. in those, this would be one where he's technically in the starring role. The thing is he could have one done if he wanted to, but I just don't know if his mentality is to then spend his time off the shoot, focusing in on basketball. And, um, We'll finish off the last dance thing, but I actually have a, a LeBron-related uh, Jordan thing that's kind of funny from something else I saw, but uh, I'll remind me. I'll talk about that at the end. So Jordan comes back, and then they lose to the Orlando Magic in his first year back in the league, basically, and part and parcel of the conversation was that he was no longer in basketball shape, quote-unquote. He was kind of getting himself back into basketball shape, which then led him into uh, obsessing over the offseason to get back in order to refuel and reload for the following season, which obviously led to the 72 and 10 season.
1: Yes. Right. Which is, which is crazy to think they actually went 72 and 10.
0: Yeah. And that was kind of the big thing. And like I said, we won't know for a hundred percent certain. One thing that is again, and I think Bill Simmons did a good job pointing out this out because again, you have to do context, right? There were some really bad teams. There were some expansion the league had watered down a little bit for that year but that doesn't take away from the fact that it was a historic season. No question. So basically from this standpoint, uh, you get past that point, he comes back, they retrain, they have the 72 and 10 season and finish it off beating the, I think it was the Seattle supersonics for the 72 and 10 season. And then Michael Jordan has one of my favorite moments in the documentary where they talk about uh, Gary Payton's uh, perspective about him starting to defend Michael Jordan later on in the series and then having a little bit more success. And then him saying that, you know, he kind of wishes that he had started Guarding Jordan earlier, and then Michael Jordan's response basically cackling at the notion
1: I mean that's the thing like Jordan's ego, right I mean, honestly like I don't think either of us are going to make an argument that he isn't the greatest player ever, but it's it's really funny to just watch him like brush off any notion that he wasn't better than everyone else or that anyone could ever get the better of him
0: absolutely that was, that's what made it hilariously funny but like it was a belly laugh like a solidly and he's just like dismissively oh the glove and it was just it was just so funny the way that it came off but at the same time, I laugh because I I would love to if I was the director, I would have had some fun with this. I would have cut, and cut to Larry, uh, I would have cut to Larry Bird and, M- and Magic Johnson going like, "Yeah, except for the nineteen eighties when we all whooped your ass."
1: That'd be funny. You know, how
0: convenient!
1: Or the Bad Boy Pistons, right? Like, yeah, it's
0: like uh, g- great, g- good for you for winning championships after we all got old and got injured.
1: Yes, was he? Am I going to make an argument that he isn't the greatest basketball player of all time? Uh, absolutely not. He's the greatest basketball player of all time. It's just interesting. <laughs> That, you know, he's. It's just the edge of Jordan, right? And his, it's his like pettiness that he uses to fuel him, right? So the fact that George Carl didn't say hi to him, he's like, oh, I'm going to destroy you guys, and, you know, in the restaurant. And, or the, is was it, was it BJ Anderson or the guy who used to play for the Bulls, but then he went to the Magic? I think it was, Magic. I think BJ Armstrong. Yeah, BJ Armstrong, right? And he's like, good game. And I don't, I mean, I'm not sure how much of uh in your face he was trying to be when he said that to Jordan, but it's like, here you go. Right. Or I don't know. I think it's a clip from the next episode or, or I can't remember, I think maybe, but basically there was some guy from the Utah jazz who was like, Oh man, you shouldn't have retired. Cause I'm going to beat you. You know, I would, I would have got you. Right. And John Stockton and Carmelo being like, you're a fucking idiot, man. Like, why do you give him that right and then obviously we know what happens with the last two championships because they beat the jazz both times
0: yeah that's true and that's kind of where the documentary goes they go to you know they beat the supersonics and then thats completes the 72 and 10 season and then they go play the jazz one they play the jazz twice now i already talked about this the jazz were kind of old they did a good job obviously they were able to get to the finals twice but at the same time you just have to question if it would have been different had they been there at a different time in their careers it was just like a bad time for them and a bad matchup for them overall even though they gave they put up a little bit of a fight, but at the end of the day, I I don't think really Utah was in any position where they were going to win realistically. With all that said, though, I guess the the question that brings up is so you've got all that, you've got all the different uh, people, and kind of the overarching theme of it. And I another moment that was kind of interesting with the Jordan part of it was uh, when he almost broke down into tears, talking about like if you couldn't handle it or you didn't want to handle my leadership and you didn't you know you didn't think this was the way to win or something like that. And then he's basically breaking down of it because he's kind of justifying himself. Realistically, this section of the documentary is Michael Jordan justifying his leadership style in the sense of saying, this is what we needed to do to win. Now, one thing that I thought was interesting, and it kind of plays off what you said. I never, I understood the whole thing about the trash talk. Although Jordan definitely made up some of those slights in his own head just to motivate himself. Even if there was nothing there, he'd make up something and he's admitted to it as much over the years. But one other thing that I thought was kind of interesting, though, and this is kind of a question that has come into play with the talking head shows, is would this style of leadership even work if you tried to translate it into today's NBA? I think no, but for a couple of reasons.
1: Well, before I say that, though, but let's put it this way. It didn't work when he came out of retirement a second time and went to Washington.
0: My thoughts on this could really be encapsulated this way. It works as long as you're the best player in the team, definitively, no question, and dealing with your crap leads to winning. If somehow it does not lead to winning, you will have a mutiny and they will throw you overboard. Whether you're on land or not.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a perfectly perfect way to encapsulate
0: it, Carlos. Yeah, because it's one of those things like we can look back, you know, skip baluses of the world, look back nostalgically and say, oh, that's leadership. And I go, well, it's leadership as long as it worked. With the benefit of hindsight, it's fine. But if um, his abrasive nature had broken up the Bulls before they ever got to that second three-peat, we're not having the same conversation. We're saying like, you know, you probably could have won more championships if you hadn't alienated your entire team. And the fact that the players were willing to take the abuse, well, that's a credit to them because I guess that was their mentality and mindset. They're like, "We'll put up with whatever as long as we win." But I don't know if like the modern player would be like, "No, I'm not putting up with your abuse and bullshit." No. And, and assuming I'm not going to put up with your abuse and bullshit, if you really get in my face, I will punch you in the face, Michael Jordan. Well, I mean not that did,
1: that did actually happen. No, night. but I'm saying
0: not once. I'm saying I'm saying like I would literally just kick your ass. I will throw chairs at you. I will bash you. I will break your leg, and you will never play again. It'll break out into a full out brawl. Forget the malice in the palace. Imagine if Jordan abuses like five of his teammates, and they go and just gang up and beat him up.
1: Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think it's going to fly. I mean, but the key is the the key is the winning piece, right? Where correct? You know, you he backed up his talk with his play, and they won. Yes. So it's hard to argue with it because they won.
0: Yeah, and all sins will be forgiven if you can produce the results. The guys on his team who have multiple championship rings because of that. Will gloss over and forget about how pissed off they were at the time. But if they had not won, even if they had gotten to the finals and gotten close and they had failed somehow, I promise you, those players would be tearing Jordan a new one in a documentary like this. Yeah, exactly. And that's what kind of makes it interesting and kind of bringing it as a connection to Kobe and the whole bit about how close Kobe was with Jordan in terms of mentality and all that. Well, people remember Kobe really fondly now because his later stage of his career, he became a lot less abrasive. And uh, kind of was a little more open and had a little bit of a different thing. But they almost forget that uh, Kobe basically, his ego and Shaq's ego destroyed a Lakers team that won three in a row. And could potentially have won additional championships and been right on that level with the 90s Bulls team. Now, he did win two more championships later, but he had to kind of rebuild. they, They had to basically redo the entire cast of characters in order to get to that stage. And Kobe had to do some adjustments to his leadership style because he spent years there in between trying to figure it out and then not working.
1: You know, as I say, like winning, winning cures all, right?
0: Yeah. And I think uh, Bill Simmons did make a valid point about the Kobe thing is that I think the struggles that Kobe had in order to rebuild the team, in order to get to that second little championship run, was basically what would have happened to Jordan. Like if And the thing is, you remember, they won the first three championships because they had Shaq there. Now, Scottie Pippen was a great player. But he wasn't Shaq in his prime. No. So if Kobe had tried to be that much of a jackass and a douchebag early and doesn't have a Shaq there, who's already got a big ego that can kind of keep it in check a little bit, and Phil Jackson, who can kind of make that work, I promise you, they don't win the initial championships, and then Kobe maybe never wins a single championship in his career because he would have alienated everybody and had nothing to show for it. And if you don't have the track record in the rings, people will not give you the respect if you tr- if you act like a jackass.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So it's just kind of an interesting exercise. I just don't think it's le- the leadership style would work, and I don't think it would work for most players. And I don't know if Jordan would have been able to successfully adapt, because heaven forbid, imagine if Michael Jordan had a team with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh my.
0: It's like what a three-way a three-way cage match.
1: That would be entertaining
0: though. I pay I pay for a pay per view on that one. Dana White, book that one for. Fight Island!
1: <laughs> there you go, Carlos. So you got it in, buddy.
0: I did it. I, I knew. I knew my moment would come, Dave. I knew my moment would come. I and mean, by the way, we would pay for that. We would pay for that pay per view for, for, for from Fight Island. And I promise you, we zoom party that shit.
1: Yes, yes, and double yes.
0: Absolutely, everyone. Everyone's in on this. Ogilvy. Everybody. No exceptions. Everybody's watching the three way cage match from Fight Island. Full stop. Sign me up anyway as far as the documentary is concerned I really got nothing else there there's, there's definitely some other stuff in there but um I really don't want to talk about his dad's death too much that doesn't interest me i it was it was important because it was part of it was a big part of the story baseball thing we talked about that uh, we talked about kind of that lead up and now we're we're at the stage now where we're approaching now we're in the playoffs of the the last dance season we're approaching that last stage and we got two more episodes so um, do you have any kind of expectations or thoughts on how we're going to kind of tie this together and finish it off.
1: Well, I I mean, not really. It's a sense that I'm, except for, I'm looking forward to two things. One that I think episode nine is going to do the Steve Kerr backstory. Uh, there's, they've been teasing that the director has. So I'm excited to hear that because apparently he has a really interesting backstory uh, and some parallels to Jordan as well. And then uh, Larry Bird is a coach of the Pacers team that uh, they ended with a Reggie Miller being like, we're going to end Jordan's, you know, run. Right. Which obviously they didn't. So we'll see. I'm I'm excited to go more into that matchup. Right. And Reggie Miller himself was a notorious trash talker. So I'm curious as to if that comes out
0: in, in it as well. I believe it will. Yeah, for sure. Because he was known for that. It was kind of his thing. I will say though, that that Pacers team came legitimately close to dethroning that Bulls team there. They had a real opportunity. And, that's kind of lit, goes back to what we talked about already in a previous podcasts. That the the greatest challenges the Bulls ever faced all came out of the Eastern Conference prior to getting into the finals, and unfortunately, the finals just never lived up to that billing.
1: Yeah, it's true.
0: Which is kind of leads you to like you're not going to devalue it because at the end of the day, winning the championship, winning the championship. But I guess I, I just don't think of any of those championship runs as iconic for the finish. Uh, you don't think about those NBA. It's not like like as like in those uh, in previous episodes we talked about like you know games you're going to go back and rewatch. Yeah, there are moments, but I don't know if I would rewatch any of those series, even if I wanted to, because it's like, well, yeah, but were the Bulls really in any danger? Not really. Not in any of those. So, and if there's no parallel, then it's not really that, doesn't really feel that competitive. So then it's like, well, what are you going to do? It is what it is.
1: Well, exactly. So yeah, we'll see We'll see what happens with the next uh, couple episodes. Obviously, I'm looking forward to them and looking forward to discussing them on here uh,
0: in a week's time. Sounds good. Now, one more thing I'll talk about. I did mention a little earlier about that LeBron James thing, comparison with the Jordan thing. And uh, there was a little piece of media that I watched that was unrelated. not di- Not directly related to this, but it was kind of funny with the way they timed it out. One of the other YouTube channels that I do check out from time to time is Bleacher Report. And Bleacher Report has had its long-running series, Game of Zones. Are you familiar with that one?
1: Yes, I am very familiar with that.
0: Are you familiar with the latest season of Game of Zones?
1: Not as familiar.
0: Okay, I would suggest to you and everybody else, go and check out the latest season of Game of Zones. It's a couple of episodes in. And the final season, because this is the final season of Game of Zones, according to Bleacher Report, and the final season of Game of Zones involves um, a team led by king james lebron taking on the zombified version of the dream team led by zombie michael jordan
1: i love it i love it
0: It's just i'm just saying timing wise it fits and the last episode in particular is very poignant
1: i will be checking that out carlos
0: yeah because and game of zones they do a very good job with that because there's a thousand inside jokes all i can tell you is watch out for cameos because there's a bunch of media guys who are in that. watch out for scenes in the media dell I'm not spoiling anything for you. It's part of the episodes. The Media Dell, and you'll see cameos from Skip Bayless, Bill Simmons, Stephen A. Smith, Shaq, and like, and a bunch of others. There's like 100 references, and if you pay close attention, you, you will have chuckles. You will have the opportunity to pause some scenes because, holy crap. And, and, again, I'm not going to spoil it for you, there is reference, speaking of zombies, to possibly a team that may be zombified.
1: I like it. I That's like all I'm it.
0: saying. there's a lot there if you really pay attention to that thousand in jokes per episode there's a lot beautiful yeah so that's my recommendation that you know in a a world devoid of live sports my recommendation for you this week everyone go check out bleacher report go check out game of zones there's a couple of episodes in by the way the long episode they call it the long episode it's 12 minutes guys it's it's not it's not going to take up a ton of your time check out the episodes you'll laugh brian windhorse is in it hilarious
1: all right man I'm glad. Thank you for the uh, recommendation.
0: So, and like I said, it'll be timely because some of the jokes kind of play into the debates we're having today. So it's kind of fun. They do a very good job catching on the right timing and the zeitgeist of kind of what we're talking about and what we're thinking about as well. Perfect. So that's it for that. I think uh, that's all we've got for this episode already. A good, solid, long episode. Now, if I take off Dave's rants, this episode will be about 15 minutes. Perfect. So for myself and Dave, we thank you for listening to the episode. If you want to check out more episodes, you can check us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. There are social medias. We may never update them again because I'm lazy. But if we ever do, they're going to be in the show notes in addition to anything else we throw in there. There's really no articles this time around. Uh, I've got nothing for you as far as articles are concerned. A lot of it was just opinion pieces this time around. But do check out, if you haven't already, check out the last couple of episodes of The Last Dance up until this point. Get caught up. If you haven't, you're the only one because a lot of people have been talking about it. Uh, Check out the, the SB Nation documentary on the Seattle Mariners. Guys, it's random, but if you love your baseball and stuff and weird shit, That definitely covers it. And check out the Game of Zones, like I said, as I gave that recommendation. So that's it for myself and Dave. We will catch you in the next episode of the Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast.